0: As we uh, come together now for another Bible study here, uh, for those of you who are separated from us for a time because of the COVID-19 virus, uh, let's begin our time opening God's word together with a word of prayer, okay? Father, I pray now for everybody who might be listening at home, who's not here, uh, who might be watching this and uh, perhaps hearing some of these things for the first time or else just being reminded of these very important things that we are trying to meditate on and process. Father, I pray that, you will help us to do well, that you will help me to do well. I thank you for the opportunity to have this kind of medium to deliver a weekly message. We know that it is no substitute for worship. It is no substitute for the assembly of the body together. But Father, uh, for those of us who are separated right now, hopefully it will be a proper supply of your word for this week. And that's what we want. So bless our time together. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we are going to pick up in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We left off at the end of uh, chapter 3 last week. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to read in verse 1. We're going to all, go all the way down through verse 11. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 11. So let me start just by reading it, and then I'll comment through the passage, and we'll pick a good landing point here. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things." having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Okay, so... Uh, an ambitious portion of scripture we're going to comment our way through it remember this comes on the heels of Paul's call for qualifications of overseers and deacons and he's telling Timothy Timothy, you've got to be diligent when you find uh, pastors and deacons people who might be called to this particular role you have to be diligent in evaluating them here are the qualifications because we are trying to set up order in the house of God and that's what he uh, lands on in chapter 3 these things verse 14 of chapter 3 I I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write to you so that you may know. "...how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth." And then we have that truth laid out for us. It is the gospel, verse 16 of chapter 3. "...God was manifested in the flesh, Jesus, justified in the Spirit, righteous, seen by angels, witnessed, preached preached among the Gentiles, a Savior of the world, believed on in the world, received up in glory." Uh, now, Paul is coming back to a very discouraging part of Timothy's ministry. Actually, it's a really discouraging part of anybody's ministry. And that is the part where you see people uh, step away, walk away, call it whatever you want, apostasy, rebellion, uh, falling away uh, from the faith that they seem to have held at one point so sincerely. So he says, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from, from the faith so the call here is timothy you should not be surprised by this because the spirit the holy spirit of god has expressly said clearly said clearly told us that this would happen in latter times which is an interesting concept okay latter times when people think of latter times or later times they think of the time right before you know the the grand reappearance of jesus christ the book of revelation and the events of revelation unfolding no. In the Bible, the category of, of, of the period of time described as latter times is the period of time after the Messiah has come and accomplished His work and left the Holy Spirit of God on the earth. We, as Christians, we believe in what, in what we often phrase as the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imminent meaning nothing stands in the way of it. At any point in time, the Lord Jesus could return. Uh, The early apostles believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. He could return at any time. His return was imminent. As such, we were no longer in the period of time where we were awaiting for the initial appearance of Israel's Messiah. Before the appearance of Jesus, that's what all the prophecy of Scripture is pointing to, the appearance of the Messiah. The Messiah has come, the Messiah has accomplished his earthly work, the Messiah has ascended in glory, that's what chapter 3 verse 16 says, he has been received up in glory, you know, that's mission accomplished, victory accomplished, he has ransomed a people for himself, he has established his kingdom on the earth, and he has promised his return, we await his return, that means we are in the latter days, right now. Paul, 2,000 years ago, was in the latter days. There is no other age of time that must come before God establishes all of His messianic purpose fulfillment in Jesus Christ. There is no other age of time before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of His eternal kingdom. There is no other age of time in the way. We are in latter times, which is why Paul says, uh, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, He's telling Timothy this as an encouragement because he knows, and Timothy knows, they understand they are in this latter times. And because they're in the latter times, they shouldn't be completely soul-crushed because it can be a soul-crushing experience. I mean, uh, people, Christians who have served faithfully for for many years know how soul-crushing it can be to watch people who you have seen come forward and make a profession of faith, people whom you have seen be baptized, people whom it appears... The Holy Spirit of God is really working in their life and they're growing. And then they just turn their back on it and totally abandon faithful, godly following of the Lord Jesus Christ. They just walk away from it. And they can do it in any number of ways. It can manifest itself in any number of ways. But it happens. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy that, look, what you see happening among you even in Ephesus we know that the Spirit said that in this age of the Holy Spirit coming and working in the earth, there would be some who would fall away and who would depart. In other words, there would be, in this massive time period where the Holy Spirit is saving all those who believe, there are going to be some who see what the Spirit of God is doing in a people and it appeals to them and they make a profession of faith without ever having a conversion of the heart, a true conversion of the heart. They experience through osmosis, if you will. They experience through proximity, a close proximity to it, if you will. They experience a form of godliness They experience a form of the work of the Holy Spirit because they're in and around the church and they get caught up in the Word of God and they get excited and they get impassioned and they spend time uh, and they appear to be growing outward signs of growth without a true conversion of the soul. And so they fall away. They, they depart from the faith that they have cozied up to. Jesus talked about this in uh, Matthew chapter 13 in the, in the parable of the sowers. And I reference the parable of the sowers a lot because it does such a great job of explaining a very complex thing. And, and you know, in the parable of the sowers, there are, are four types of, of soil that the word of God appears to have uh, a work or growth in. And the first one, it doesn't really grow at all. You know, the word of God falls on someone and it's just immediately rejected. Now we're familiar with that. Anybody who shared the gospel is familiar with what it's like to share the gospel and it just feels like you're preaching at a wall. Nothing happens. It doesn't get through. But then there are three other types of soil groups in the parable of the sower. There's those who receive the word of God and grow for a while. And from the outside, they look like they're doing well. Right? But then you find out that, that really they're in rocky soil and there's no root and, and persecution comes and they burn out. Now, from, from the surface, if you can't see what's happening below the ground, that there's no deep root system, that the plant's not going to make it, from the surface you see the appearance of growth and indeed some superficial growth, but there's never a chance for a true plant to develop and bear fruit. And that's what we're always striving for, in, in, in all the metaphors of Jesus. We're striving for those who are going to bear fruit, those who whose faith is going to come to full fruition and bear fruit. That's how you know faith, the germination of the soul, was real with the word of God and the spirit of God. And then there's another group of soil, and it grows too, but but in the parable of the sower, it's choked out by the weeds. And that's Jesus describes as the cares of the world. In other words, they just get caught, you know, caught, they get caught up in the things that are going on in the world. They start off and it really looks like they're growing and they're sincere and they're willing to deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow Jesus. And then while they're trying to take up their cross daily, they find out that there are some really things in their life daily that they want to accomplish. And so they set the cross down and they go run here. And they accomplish some things. They try to pick the cross back up. But then about the time they get it back on their shoulder, there's some stuff over here. And so they, they run over there. They get And so slowly... The growth of the Word of God gets choked out by all the cares of the world. And neither one of those two groups make it, although it appears like there's some initial growth. That's what we're talking about here. That in latter times, there are going to be people, as the Holy Spirit works in this present age that we're in, who it appears that there's growth and there's reception of the Word of God. It's not outright rejection. You know, it's they're, they're, they cozy up and there even appears to be real growth but it was never real, there was never a genuine conversion of the soul that leads to in the parable of the soil, the fourth group, where the word of God flourishes and, and there's fruit born and, and, and that's what we want to get to. And so Paul's telling Timothy, look, it's hard to be a pastor and it's hard to work in a church. It's hard to be a member in a church and it's hard to be a Sunday school teacher and it's hard to work in a clothing ministry and share the gospel and it's, it's hard to do all of these things. It's hard to be a mom and a dad. Because the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, this is going to happen. People are going to fall away. People are going to fall away. Now look at verse 1 continues. They're going to fall away, it says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Giving heed. In other words, they hear something, they hear doctrines of demons, they hear teaching, and they give that teaching a place in their life and they give that teaching, that, that idea, a hold in their life, and it transforms them. In the same way that the Word of God would transform them, now they get corrupted by something else, and it's specifically called doctrines of demons. And it corrupts them. And, and, and giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, the conscience is what we often call the moral compass, right? It's what tells us when we're on the right track or the wrong track. And these are people who get so far off on the wrong track, believing things that don't come from God, but believing things that ultimately are satanic, are evil. They come from Satan. They come from, they're demonic in nature because they don't glorify God. Listen, whatever message out there stands contrary to God and doesn't glorify God, It's the doctrine, it's the messaging, it's the teaching of the evil one. And they give heed to it, and so it begins to transform who they are. And as they give into this message, whatever it is, because there's a whole variety of them out there, but as they give hold to this message, their conscience, which should be screaming at them, no, this is the wrong track, that's what a conscience is supposed to do, this is the wrong course, this is the wrong track. Their conscience gets seared with a hot iron. Have you ever, you know what happens when you get seared with a, a hot iron? You know, you, you're wounded and you're scarred, and that scar tissue does not have the same sensitivity and sensation as, as, the, as the tissue that that, that that was once there. You know, it, it becomes, it loses, it, it's almost like nerve damage. And their consciences become damaged, seared. They become, they're not able to feel the depravity of the course that they're on anymore. You know, I want to give you a couple cross-references from the letter to give you an idea of what Paul's talking about. This is First Timothy chapter one, verses three through seven. Listen to this this struggle that he knows Timothy is having about teaching the right things and making sure that no other teaching invades the church, but that it says the right things. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine other than the doctrine that comes from God and glorifies God, the teaching delivered once for all by the apostles through Jesus Christ to the saints. That's the doctrine. Nothing else. Verse 4 of First Timothy chapter 1 Timothy 1 nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. You know, conspiracies and genealogies and 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 what he calls in chapter 4, old wives' tales. We'll get into that in a minute. Which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. What you're going to find here is the message from chapter 1 about godly growth is echoed here in chapter 4. It's the same growth. That's what we're supposed to be striving for. Not getting caught up in, Uh, fables and genealogies and old wives' tales and other teaching. you know. So again, back to chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Now the purpose of this commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, not one seared like by a hot iron, and from a sincere faith, from which, this is verse 6 of chapter 1, some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. That's what he's talking about here. The Spirit expressly says, chapter 4 verse 1 that in latter times some will depart from the faith and in chapter 1 he says in verse 6 some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, fruitless talk, genealogies, fables, old wives' tales, teaching from demons. It doesn't glorify God. Verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law and understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. They don't understand it because they have been deceived by it. They have given, as verse you know, 2 says here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, they have given heed to deceiving spirits. They can't differentiate anymore. Here's verse 18 of chapter 1. Skipping down in chapter 1 a little bit. He says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Not allowing this stuff into the church is waging the good warfare. Verse 19, Having faith and a good conscience. There's that phrase again, a good conscience. You know, it shows up in verse 5 of chapter 1. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and from a good conscience. It shows up in verse 19 of chapter 1, having faith and a good conscience. And we get the antithesis of it in chapter 4. Those who have seared their own conscience with the hot iron. But he says, Timothy, in verse 19 of chapter 1, you have faith and a good conscience which some have rejected. And concerning the faith they've suffered shipwreck of whom, he names two guys, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan so that they could learn not to blaspheme. Wage the good, uh, wage the good warfare is the message in 1 Timothy chapter 1.18. The good warfare, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against human beings. We're not out there trying to beat down our opponents, either verbally or physically. But we wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Do not give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Spiritual warfare. You get on the wrong track with the teaching that you buy into And you can become fully convinced of what is absolutely wrong. So be warned. Be warned. Everybody listening to this, everybody on Sunday morning who hears this message should be warned. The vulnerability to the Christian's faith is in the doctrines, the teaching, the messaging that they buy into in their life. That's the vulnerability. I know it's the vulnerability because the warfare that's described to us in Ephesians 6 is not warfare against anything other than the deceptions of false teaching and messaging from spiritual powers in heavenly places or in spiritual places. In other words, dark spiritual messaging, forces, ideas. So, be careful with the messaging you buy into. There are different ways that this messaging comes to us. It comes to us in music. It comes to us in what we listen to and what we watch. It comes to us in what we read. False messaging. You know, uh, I have profited from Christian books, but for every person out there who profits from a Christian book, there are dozens of people out there who are victimized by false Christian books, whose messaging is just corrupt enough to deceive someone and sear their conscience so that they don't even recognize that they're on the wrong path. Here's a novel idea for Christian growth. Open your Bible, read your Bible, pray, and when it comes to teaching and deciphering the instruction of the Bible and conversations about the Bible, rather than run to the internet or run to your phone, or run to the Christian bookstore or the Christian website. Rather than do that, how about this? How about we trust the institution that God set up to take that place in our life? How about that? What institution is that? Has God just given us a bunch of scrolls and said, hey Christian, take these scrolls and go figure it out. And if you need help, consult Google or this Christian website with this Christian teacher whom you've never met and only read about on the internet. Or or this or that. No, no, no. God actually gave us an institution to help us in our Christian growth and godliness. And what is it? The local church where Timothy is serving. And in the local church there are pastors And they may not be perfect, and they may not even be the smartest scholar in all the world, but it's their job to help you. That's who God has given you. Teachers in the local church, teachers who aren't pastors, that's whom God has given you. Older brothers and sisters in Christ, that's whom God has given you. And I feel like some of us in the church have offloaded all that work of discipleship and teaching and responsibility by just being being really good book recommenders and being really good website recommenders and really good podcast or YouTube channel recommenders and really good Christian music recommenders that's all nonsense I mean you can get some good stuff from that but you can't offload your responsibility for the edification of the saints in the body of Christ by pretending like recommendation is a spiritual gift. It's not. Discernment is a spiritual gift. I hope you can exercise discernment, right? But you're supposed to be helping people grow and people should be relying on the church, not what they find on Google for Bible training. My word, what have we become? We have become a cesspool in many ways of... False and manipulated teaching that can't be checked because it takes place on phones and, and in and private study and things that, that no one in the church who's supposed to be discipling even knows about. Be careful the teaching. Be careful the teaching that you cling to. Okay, key concepts there. Be careful about what we learn. Let's move on. Verse 3. So here are some of the issues Timothy was dealing with in Ephesus. He says, some of these people are forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And then he gives a very short summary here about the abstaining from foods. Here's what he says in verse 4. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused, talking about foods, if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So two things are dealt with here. One, two, celibacy. The idea of celibacy and the idea of abstaining from foods. You say, well, why in the world are celibacy and abstaining from foods called out and singled out here? It's real simple. Uh, Throughout the history of time, there have been religious devotions in all religious ideas, even infiltrating the Christian church, that there was some spiritual growth that could be attained to, some personal growth that could be attained to, if you abstain from sex and if you abstain from certain foods. Celibacy and abstaining from foods. Those ideas are as old as the history of the world and they are still prevalent today. Okay? Uh, how, did, how was this going on in Timothy's life? You know, I've got a, a short little thing here on celibacy that I'll read to you. It says In Rome, the institution of the Vestal Virgins was a great example of a, of a celibate spiritual sect, a pagan sect in Rome. These who were required to remain celibate for at least 30 years of service and it indicates that celibacy was a very was a very ancient aspect of Roman religion now that's the context that people are getting saved of saved out of in you know Timothy's you know work and ministry in the Roman world, but it didn't take long before you know this started to infiltrate the the church. There's a famous uh, Stoic philosopher named Epictetus, uh, and he held that teachers, the ideal teacher, would be unmarried. That his task would require freedom from the cares of family, uh, and so there was a, a certain level of growth and a certain level of of, of teaching accomplishment to be re- that that required celibacy. Okay, you have to abstain from it. And the same thing with foods. If you abstain from these foods, you can reach some higher spiritual plane, right? And it's all nonsense. It it, it all bears in at the idea that you can grow spiritually by abstaining from physical things. And the, the, the truth that we need to understand here is spiritual life isn't at war with good things that God has created. God is a creator. He's created things on this, on this earth to be enjoyed. Those things can be enjoyed and abstaining from them when you would otherwise observe them in a godly way, doesn't elevate you to some higher plane. But, ah, they, they were teaching that it was. This still happens today. Monasticism, celibacy, some, some special status. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. And, and said so right in the Word of God. By the way, there is no reason, there is no way to justify something like a, a call to celibacy uh, as being some higher spiritual plane and certainly mandated for Christian ministry like what you see in, in the Catholic Church, for example. There's nothing like that that, that, that a Christian who believes the Bible could, could conclude. It says it right here that you're not supposed to be you know, instructing people to abstain from marriage. It's bad instruction. Marriage is an ordinance of God. Anyway, moving on. Verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, that's what I'm doing now, that's what Timothy was called to do, Fight back against this demonic, satanic messaging. You will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. This is a great message, and I know it's insulting. Okay, I have a wife, and she is getting older, but she doesn't teach a lot of a lot of fables. Okay, but she's she's sitting right over there, staring at me. She's not smiling or anything. So she just she's the only one in the whole sanctuary, and she's just kind of uh, looking at me, wait, waiting to see where this goes. You know, I don't think that Paul is trying to insult old women. But, but at the same time, this is kind of that, you know, sarcastic, you know, lingo of, you know, uh, 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 stories that are just myths and, 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 and nonsense, silly material. That's really the idea here. Uh, he calls them endless genealogies earlier, uh, fables earlier in this letter to Timothy. Here He calls them old wives' tales. And notice what he says to do with these things, because they pop up. I mean, how many of you uh, listening to this have have uh, been waylaid at church on a Sunday, or uh, waylaid when you're out talking with a Christian, with some crazy theory or some 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 huge you know theory that they have, or some some uh, whatever it is, and it's just like, oh my goodness, where is this coming from? But somebody's all you know they're worked up about it. Paul says, reject the silly. In other words. What does that mean? Reject. It means do not spend your energy arguing and debating all of the silliness. That's what he's saying. The Christian pastor, specifically, and I believe Christian people in general, while they should be patient and gracious and kind with those who are caught up in something, they should be very discerning when that's something that they're being caught up in does what Paul warns it can do in 1 Timothy chapter 1, which is gives way to strife and dissension and difficulties. That's what 1 Timothy chapter 1 is warning about, that that these things uh, can cause conflict. Verse 4 of chapter 1. Don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification. So Christians should be discerning when they hear these things. Okay, But don't engage in all of them. Don't give energy to all of them. He says, just reject all that all that nonsense, all the old wives' tales, the old wives' fables. Reject it all. And instead, here's what he says in verse 7 exercise yourself toward godliness. Spend your energy focusing on godliness. What a novel idea. What a novel idea that rather than try to debate all the silliness in the universe and everybody's theory and story and idea and their out of left field concept of whatever it is they're talking about instead of spending all your energy on that stuff here's a great idea reject it and you spend your energy, you exercise yourself toward godliness that came up in chapter 1 That came up in chapter 1, didn't it? Godliness. Godliness. I mean, what is the purpose of Christian life if we're not striving for godliness? What's the purpose? Look, the reason why Christians are waylaid by all this messaging is because they think this is how I grow spiritually. I can grow spiritually by abstaining from foods. I can grow spiritually by speaking in tongues. I can grow spiritually if I learn these love languages or whatever it might be. I can grow spiritually if I follow this teacher or follow this teacher. I can grow spiritually if I'm celibate. I can grow and, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Here's a concept. Grow spiritually by focusing on personal godliness, becoming more and more holy and righteous, growing in godliness. Verse 8, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness, godliness is profitable for all things having the promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. When a person grows in godliness, it promises them blessing in the life that now is as well as the life that is to come. Now, we often think of our Christian life as just preparing for the life that is to come. Heaven. No, no, no. The person who exercises themselves toward godliness can experience the profit of that. It is profitable to them right now. And then he he puts the exclamation point, the Pauline exclamation point on it in verse 9. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Grow in godliness. Key concepts. The real value of personal growth is in this way, in godliness. And he says to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we focus on godliness. Because we focus on spiritual growth and godliness, we labor and people make fun of us. Oh, that's a simpleton's view of Christianity. Oh, Paul doesn't know the secret truth that we know. Oh, Paul's missing out on this high elevated knowledge that we're dispensing. Oh, Pastor Reggie, you know, he doesn't have the PhDs and the letters behind his name that this teacher over here does. He doesn't have the social media following that this teacher over here does. He doesn't have the, 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 the TV special that this teacher over here does. He's never spoke in front of thousands of people like they do at this conference or that conference or this. My goodness, we are conferenced to death, aren't we? Conference, 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 conference. And every conference you go to, book, 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 book. I mean, we are conferenced to death. And I'm not trying to criticize every conference. But, but, but listen. Here's an idea. An idea that will take work. And you will be made fun of for oversimplifying things. Focus, exercise yourself on becoming godly. And more godly. And more godly. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. Why do we want to become more godly? Because we believe there is a living God who fuels us in godliness. Being godly then is akin to becoming more alive. A living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Jesus died on the cross legally paying the debt of all who would believe. That's verse 10. These things command and teach. So that's what I'm teaching. You know what? There is value in godliness. There is a simple value and virtue in becoming less of a liar. There is a simple godly virtue in becoming more humble, less prideful, less angry, more self-controlled, more patient. There is a simple virtue in becoming kinder, in becoming sweeter, in becoming more good These are all fruit of the Spirit. Godliness. Guess what a fruit of the Spirit is not? Becoming celibate or becoming wealthy or staying healthy or becoming powerful or amassing lots of followers or or garnering lots of people to read your book or watch your special. That's... No, 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 no. Exercise yourself toward this. Not silliness, not old wives' tales, not endless debates. Become more godly because there is a living God And if you want to grow spiritually more complete, grow more and more like Him. Grow more and more like Him. What a message. And you know it's there for everyone who believes. That's where we land in verse 10. The living God and the Savior who died on the cross to save all who believe. You can become more godly by giving your life to Jesus Christ and trusting Him, by letting Him be your Savior, by committing yourself to the local church where there are people who will instruct you in the very simple labor that gets mocked and made fun of, of godliness. You can do that. If you're not saved and you're listening to this, there is a Savior who died on the cross for your sin, who rose into heaven, who sent His Spirit down here on the earth to create what we call the church so that people who believe in Him can be transformed through the work of the Spirit functioning in the church. You can become more godly. You can become spiritually alive. That's what Jesus Christ died on the cross to offer you, life life that's why he says i am the way the way because he died on the cross to pay your legal debt i am the way the truth because he's not speaking in doctrines of demons and worldly messaging he's not here to tell you about how you can get more money how you can stay healthy how you can fight the government how you can deal with every political issue no 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 jesus is the truth because he's telling you how you can have eternal life with god and not be held in captivity eternally in hell i am the way i am the truth And he is the life, real spiritual life that comes from God, that will persist through death, that will fuel eternity and happiness with God face to face, but that is profitable right now, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Godliness is profitable both in the life to come and right now. You can experience that if you trust Jesus. If you commit yourself to godliness instead of committing yourself to other ambitions, you can experience that and you can profit from it right now right now in your life. so I'm gonna pray for you now that that's what we all do. Dear Heavenly Father I thank you for the the chance to preach this message to whatever virtual audience is tuning in and I know the statistics that statistically probably no one is watching by now but I'm praying for them anyway. I'm praying Father that you will bless them, that you will keep them, that you'll make your face shine upon them. I pray Father that you'll give them a sincere heart towards godliness and not towards anything else primarily godliness, and let everything else in their life flow from that. Help us to be committed to the simple truth and the hard work of it, of growing closer and closer to Jesus by being transformed into His his image instead of getting caught up in old wives' tales. Help us to reject the wrong and embrace the simple, the simple that is true and profitable now and forever. If anyone's hearing this message and not saved, I pray you'll convict them of their sin because, boy, they need to be convicted of it. That your Spirit will work to free them now and in all eternity, that they'll follow you, brace the, the local church and the Spirit of God at work there and, and become godly, profitable. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.